0: PlushCare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPLRoundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
2: Hi, I'm Richard Burns, a Manchester City fan. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at RichardTheBurns um, and I am on the Blue Moon podcast, a dedicated Manchester City podcast.
3: Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley FC and I'm here to
4: talk about Burnley. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJackWithTwoNs. I write the EPL Index and the Boot Room. Terrific. Thanks so much
1: for joining us, guys. Uh, Up first, I want to talk about Manchester City, which is fortunate since we have Richard on the show today. As we sit through 11 matches, Manchester City have four more points than Arsenal's Invincibles did in 2003-2004. How realistic do we think it is that Manchester City could have an undefeated season?
2: Um, I think there is, uh, for for as long as we remain unbeaten, uh, we sort of have to acknowledge that it, it is possible. Um, however, uh, beyond that, I very much sort of go with Guardiola's line of thinking and with what he's saying, that it's extremely unlikely um, because there's just there's so much that needs to come together for that to happen. So the reason that I think it's possible is because uh, I, I do believe that sort of what we're, we're seeing at the moment, City are uh, the, the best team in the league by, I think at the moment, Quite some distance. I might level out as the season goes on, but the way we're playing at the moment is um, it is pretty extraordinary. And sort of the um, the extraordinary is beginning to look quite normal with some of the things that, that we're doing at the moment. So records tumbling week after week, whether they be club records or, or Premier League records. Um, and so there is not a team at the moment that I wouldn't feel confident playing. Um, it's strange to, to go to a game against Arsenal bearing in mind our record against them and sort of expecting beforehand to win and, and not feeling concerned when they get a goal back um, everything just sort of feels quite comfortable at the moment but the Premier League is full of very, very good football teams and it's not impossible that um, after the international break we go to Leicester and lose That it's it's a possibility. Um, at some point, somebody is going to work out how to stop City. Um, there's, whether that means absolutely uh, packing the defence and, and midfield and just having absolutely no attacking intention uh, sort of at all. Someone's going to work out how to stop us scoring. And then all it takes is a breakaway goal. Or a bit of luck like we got today with an offside call um, going our way when when Silva was offside for our third goal. Um, it, it doesn't take that much to lose a game of football and at some point we have to have an off day it's just it's unrealistic to expect that not to happen Um, however there is a precedent for a a really really good team being able to go the season unbeaten and so obviously I'd love it to happen but uh, I'm placing no sort of expectation on it I don't think anybody at, at City really talks about it I think it's very much something that comes from outside of the club with um which is very nice. People are admiring how well City are playing at the moment and acknowledging that quality. But it's not really amongst City fans, it's not the the buzz around the place that we could do a season unbeaten. Um there is a, a buzz about how well we could do and about how many trophies we might win and, and and all that stuff. Um because at the moment we're clearly in trophy winning form. Um so on how realistic it is. The, the look luck that we'd have to get with uh, injuries and and having sort of every game not having a major decision or or a wonder goal or whatever or just a, a team playing well against us I mean it's hard to conceive of going a full season without some of those things coming together to to lead to a defeat football teams lose games it has to happen at some point so. It's probably not realistic to expect. However, on any individual day, on any, on any, against any individual team on any given day, City can be better than anyone and, and can beat them. Yeah, I think I
3: agree. I mean, I think this City team is probably better on paper and man for man better than the Arsenal's Invincibles team at the moment. Um, but I think it's probably too early to be talking about going a whole season unbeaten. We're still in early November, and City started last season similarly well, and they've done it before and faded away. So there's a chance that that could happen again. They look unstoppable at the moment, but teams have done that and it's not happened. They've got to go to Old Trafford next month. That's obviously going to be a very, very difficult test. Um, And freak results happen in the Premier League all the time. Burnley won at Chelsea on the opening day. Huddersfield beat Man United the other weekend. These things happen as a matter of course in the Premier League. It seems it's it's asking a lot for that not to happen to City at some point. And someone might just be better than them on the day as well. It doesn't have to be a, a sort of freak result that happens. Um, I think also um, they've, they've had luck at times. Like Richard said, they were a bit lucky at times today with the offside goal we went to the etihad recently we were holding city reasonably easily until they got a penalty that was debatable i think um so yeah for me it's too early they could do it but there's there's too many
4: variables at this stage yeah i've got some got some feelings on this man city team because uh... I always seem to come on this podcast and just give the strong opinions, which uh, I think last time I was on, I said Kuman should definitely get sacked. I think I was the only one to say that, and that that came true. So I'm not calling myself the oracle or anything, but I'm just about to blow some smoke up Man City and probably unsettle Richard a little bit because I think I I, I seriously think they've got a massive chance of winning the quadruple this season, and I don't I, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic and said. So um, I've I watched the game against Napoli, and I don't uh watch the game against Napoli and think oh Napoli I've been told they're a good team by the media this much means City must be really good to beat them twice I've watched Napoli four or five times already this season and I know they're a good team and the way City played against them was was incredible uh, Napoli sort of dominated the first 30 minutes then after that City were unbelievable and at this point I think they're the best team I've ever seen in the Premier League in my lifetime um I was quite young when the Invincibles were out uh, were about, but it wasn't the best Premier League. Like now I think we'd all agree this is probably the strongest league that England have had. Mainly because of the, the money and things like that. But if the the amount of like managerial talent playing playing talent we have in this league is, it's unbelievable. And City are blowing it away. Like today they didn't even play well. I think Richard, would you agree you didn't really play well today? It wasn't the best city you've played at all. It's probably not even in your top five performances of the season.
2: Well, no, that's the thing. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And yet, we were still, uh, by by any sort of normal standard, um, I would class that as a still a very good performance because I thought we we pretty much dominated the game. I thought we, I thought City uh, controlled it. Uh, I think there were a few signs of. Physical and possibly um, mental fatigue after the uh, after the midweek game against Napoli, which was a a really hard game. Um, I I thought they showed a few signs of that at times. And yeah, I'd I'd fully agree. I think sort of um, in this run of wins that started back with the third game of the season when we beat Bournemouth in the last minute. um, I, I think probably only Arsenal, Napoli, and Burnley. A games where i thought we were in i came away from it thinking that we'd had a, a real test um and and really have to, i mean obviously they always have to work for the win but where it was clear that it hadn't come uh, maybe quite as easily as it has in some of the the other high scoring wins and yet the, despite that despite feeling like it wasn't one of our really better performances of the season we still created a, a, a good few chances and still scored three goals which is the i guess the the frightening bit in terms of how well uh, how well they're playing at the moment. That even on the bad days, things are going very very well.
4: Yeah, yeah. For for me, it was the final ball. I didn't think the final ball was good at yeah. all. There was that one moment from Sterling in the first half that was an, an awful ball, and there was three the or four other like situations where in the last 10 yeah minutes. yeah there were three or four situations where I thought that if City were on form, they would have they, you know would have scored, and they still scored three goals. Regardless of them, you know, may, not being great in the final third, which is just really scary to think about. And I think that the quality of the Premier League is probably going to stop them going unbeaten because any team can beat anyone. And you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be tiredness, there's going to be injuries and things like that. But I do think the City team is is the best team I've ever seen in my lifetime in the Premier League. And I think as think stand in Europe as well. They're probably the favourites to win the Champions League. I think they're the team playing best in Europe. And then the other two cup competitions, like. People talk about the quadruple all the time. They always used to talk about it with Mourinho's Chelsea, um, Fugs and Man United got talked about it a few times. And I think this City team, if, if anyone's going to do it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's this City team, whether it's this season, next season or the year after. I think this City team is going to win so many trophies and it's going to be looked back on. as probably the best team we've seen in the Premier League.
3: Just while we're on City, um, Richard, I have to pick City up on this 15-game winning run thing. Like, does a draw against Wolves count as a win now? Like...
2: Right. Now, see, I um, I definitely see both sides of this. I'm mildly uncomfortable with it counting towards the record. However, yeah. There is has press... to be a winner on the night,
3: so yeah, it can so make I... sense,
2: I... but they it... didn't win they the didn't... game. No, I agree. They didn't win the game, but they progressed. And there is... The only thing I'd say with it... Um, is this isn't just a city thing? There's precedent for this. So, um, for example, uh, at Alex Ferguson's 100th European win, uh, oh, away European No, that can't be. Yeah, his 100th European win or whatever it was with United was won on penalties. And uh, I think in oh, there was another game. There was another one where it's it's been counted towards a record, a team winning on penalties. And so, although I'm not, in, I'm not. Um, completely in agreement with counting a game that was drawn yeah. in a sequence of wins uh, there is precedent, this isn't just City sort of sure. belligerently just, trying just, to play I hope you
3: stop winning at some point because it's going to get more annoying <laughs> 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 as the season goes on
2: Yeah, I hope we don't um, to me, <laughs> an asterisk record, it's like it's, it's yeah, 14 yeah. games, however one game was won on penalties, it'll always have that with it, um, but if I stop being objective and be subjective, of course it's a win. Of course it's a record. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: speaking on how good uh, City have been, um, kind of agree with you, Jake. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino was asked in his press conference about Manchester City and said they are currently the best team in Europe. Um, and there is a weird uh, animosity between Tottenham and City right now. So I was surprised that he was so uh, willing to come out and say that. I was going to ask you guys who you thought had the best chance Of upending City, but it kind of sounds like all of you just think it could just happen at any point and wouldn't require any particular matchups. Kind of following on with the European football uh, note, another great week for British teams in the Champions League. Uh, United, Liverpool, City, and Tottenham all lead their groups. Chelsea still in a position to advance in second in their group. Um, Do you care? how the other Premier League teams do in the Champions League? Do you feel like it promotes the strength of the league uh, throughout the continent, or do you not really care since it's not your club?
2: I, um, at the the risk of just being blunt, I could hardly care less, Um, other than sort of being very impressed by by Tottenham's result and I suppose that raising... um, Peaking more of an interest in me because Tottenham are a team that I get to see far more often than uh, other teams in the Champions League because uh, obviously at the very least I get to see the highlights packages every week that um, that are on. So it it peaks my interest, but I, I I don't sort of sit and think I hope the English clubs do well tonight or um, have any sort of extra happiness for them. I'm very nor do I have any animosity towards them. It's a, you know I was sort of. Um, you know, you're impressed, and you you put yourself in the the shoes of the fans who've got to see their team beat Real Madrid, and you, I guess, you sort of feel a happiness for them because that's an incredible result. But beyond sort of, like I say, being a bit more interested in the English teams, I don't have any extra desire to see them win. Um, I I'll be interested to uh, see how this uh, goes with with the other guys, to be honest, because I I probably consider myself quite a a selfish football fan. If it's um if it's not city or doesn't impact city i don't really care how it goes i'm interested in it but um it you know sort of just just everybody else can can get on with themselves and will worry about us
3: yeah i'm not really bothered either to be honest i think one of the one of the things that i do like about english teams going further in the champions league is the level of coverage that we get is just much better it feels like once the english teams are out or they're not doing well the media just sort of loses interest and you don't get really good coverage of the all-European ties that don't involve Premier League teams. So from that perspective, I'd like English teams to stay in. Um, I'm not that bothered about the Champions League anyway until we qualify for it this season. Um, yeah, it's not really bothered. <laughs> doesn't affect Burnley that much anyway. Uh, and it's quite predictable, isn't it, the Champions League? Until you get into the business end sort of march with a knockout knockouts, quarterfinals, that sort of business. Until you get there, it's just a bit boring and rubbish anyway. It's too big, it's too overblown. Should be straight knockouts all the way through. Um I think it it's probably as good for the league if clubs are doing well in the Champions League, you probably attract a higher class of player. I don't think it's that much of a coincidence that the players that you'd probably consider to be the best players in the world have been in la Liga in the last few years and they've been dominant in the Champions League. Madrid have won it back to back. Zleti have been to the final twice in the last four years or whatever. Um, And Barca obviously won it a few times before then. So I think the the talent will concentrate where the titles are. Neymar going to PSG obviously changes that a little bit. And if they win it this year, then maybe it'll be balanced out a little bit. But yeah, to answer the question overall, not that fast.
4: Yeah, I'd take a similar stance to that. I'm not too bothered. Uh, I have a vested interest in English teams doing well purely off a off a selfish writing point of view as I do a lot better there if English teams are doing well because yeah, I I get asked to write more and stuff. But apart from that, it's it's not I'm not really that bothered. I like I just like watching football. I like watching the Champions League. I like watching what the sort of the best match of the night. Like I watched Napoli City. I didn't watch it because City a City or, and English. I just watched it because it was a really good matchup. And I'm I just watch football for that reason. I'm not that interested. There was a point when I used to be bothered and care about the coefficient, but I think they've made that pretty close up shop for English teams. I think the Premier League got the most money. We're always going to (laughs) have loads of teams in the Champions League. It's not really an issue. Um, So if Newcastle ever get to that point, which I'm fairly hopeful maybe one day get into the champions league if all things go well with our takeover then maybe then i will care about how english teams do but a lot more but yeah i'm i'm not really I, I just sort of like watch it for the football i'm like i can't care who wins as long as you know i'm entertained which i often am
3: <laughs> yes, as so- long as football is the winner <laughs>
4: <laughs> um
1: great point yeah and on the coefficient it doesn't actually matter for england anymore they now have a guaranteed four teams uh, every year so there's no longer that weird race with italy where they were kind of competing with each other for two or three years. Um, All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. All right, and we are back. Richard, we will just continue
1: with City Watch 2017. Um, There's been news, uh, kind of came out of Rummenigge at Bayern, saying that Alexis has picked his club for next year. Considering how close that transfer looked uh, in the fall, I think uh, assumptions could be made that it could potentially be City. But now there's somewhat of a complication in that Leroy Sané has been in incredible form uh as a city player would you like to see a player like Alexis come and take one of the spots in your starting 11 or would you rather see a player like Sane or Sterling
2: just develop into that level of talent um i'm not sure it's um it's an either or situation i think My biggest concern is not so much in taking a spot from Sterling, Sané or or anybody else. My biggest concern is the risk of just unbalancing the team, of bringing a player in in January um, who obviously hasn't played with the team before and and has to get used to that. Um, That would be my only concern. Um, I think there are times when the way Sanchez behaves on the pitch uh, doesn't necessarily match with the way... Uh, our players behave. I think he sometimes comes across as um, This is this is probably gonna sound really unfair, but I think at it, it, times it comes across as quite selfish Um you see quite often if something goes wrong, he does that sort of um, sitting on his knees and, and gesticulating with his arms because It sort of appears that everything else is every, Everything is everybody else's fault and never his and he wants to actively show that he cares more than everybody else um, So I would worry about that. However, he's worked with Guardiola before. Guardiola has um, very high standards uh, of what he expects from his players, um, not only on the pitch, but in a a sort of personal capacity, the the attitude and behaviour that he expects from them. So obviously the fact that he wants Sanchez so much suggests that there shouldn't be any concerns about his behaviour or how he'd uh, blend into the squad. It's just that that isn't typical of, of how City players behave at the moment but then if he was in this City team maybe he wouldn't have as much cause to do that and wouldn't be as frustrated as often as he is at Arsenal where he is quite clearly a cut above everybody else there um, I don't worry about him, I did in the summer worry about whether he'd take a place from Sterling or, or Sané, I don't worry about that now because they're both proving themselves um, and the Sterling and in particular at the moment is undroppable Uh, obviously we have rotation so every now and then he has to uh, take a seat on the bench for that purpose but his performances are incredible he's hit a, a superb level of consistency he's our Top scorer for the season, which for a, uh, a player who can't shoot apparently, or, or always, has always had problems with his finishing and decision making, uh, says quite a lot that he's the top scorer in this team. So there'd be no reason to take him out. What I think Sanchez would allow, rather than seeing it as stopping Sané of Sterling, I think it would allow us, uh, it, uh, and it would allow Guardiola more sort of tactical flexibility with that team. He's clearly moving uh, Sterling central. He still obviously gets wide, but when you look at the goals that he's scoring, they are typical of Guardiola teams. From a ball out wide, Sterling is actually usually in the box rather than necessarily providing that ball. And a lot of his goals are coming from uh, from that and taking a ball in either from Sane or uh, from one of the fullbacks who's attacking, which is exactly sort of how Guardiola's always set his teams up. He's explicitly said he sees Sterling's future as being in the centre and so I think Sanchez complements that because he can do the lot across the front uh, and, and so he would probably facilitate Sterling moving central rather than blocking him um, and Sané again extremely impressive his decision making is fantastic his, uh, his finishing his assist rate is, is unbelievable so Sanchez would provide competition but I don't think he blocks the path. I think he does just provide competition. And I thought before the season started that we look crowded in attacking positions but everybody's getting a chance um, and we're benefiting from it. And it keeps everybody to an incredibly high standard. So I don't I don't have any concerns on the playing front. I just worry about, um, is January the best time to make a change to what is an incredibly uh, well-functioning unit at the moment? But then on the flip side of it, We've only got two out-and-out strikers in in Aguero and Jesus. If one of them gets injured for even a month with the amount of games that we play because we're still in all competitions, uh, then you suddenly put a hell of a lot of pressure on one of those strikers. And that requires Guardiola to come up with a few different ideas because he wouldn't reasonably expect one of them to be playing seven to eight games in a month without a break, I don't think. So Sanchez could help ease that. And I suspect that if and when he comes in, uh, we'll probably quickly wonder... Why we ever wondered how he would fit in?
3: It's interesting that you said pathway there, Richard, because it's it certainly adds to the, the options. But taking a more medium term view, what would signing Sanchez mean for someone like like Phil Foden, who was so brilliant at the under seventeen World Cup? Everyone seems to think he's the the next best thing. But how is he how is he going to get a chance at City if he's signing more forwards? Uh,
2: that's that's a really good question. Um, youngsters I mean, the kids have a very, very difficult path at City anyway. When you when you're able to attract top class players, it's always gonna make it harder to get those youngsters into the team. There's been a lot of uh very highly rated players that have um that have got fed up or that have seen their path is is blocked. there. Uh, Jaden Sancho moving in the summer to Dortmund is the the obvious example of that. Um one that we will probably regret in years to come and see it as being very clumsily handled um it's really hard i think when when you want to win every competition you're in to put the trust in in the kids who are inexperienced i can see why the the route is so often to loan them out but then they don't break in because we've typically signed players in the meantime um I don't really have an answer to that we i mean this is something that comes up again and again and again between the city fans uh, there are those who are desperate to see academy products in the team those who don't really care so much about that side of it foden is probably a, a particularly special case because he's a very local lad um city fan born and bred and everything and people always tend to Uh, have a a sort of special fondness for those those players and it's something that we've not had at City for a long time so how he gets in I don't know I I guess the, the two Champions League games coming up where we already know that we're through I'd imagine you'll get a chance in at least one of those particularly if we've already guaranteed top spot by the time we play Shakhtar, because this Shakhtar game, December falls just before the derby, so he's going to be desperate to rest players for that, I think, and that will be an in for him. What is noticeable about Foden is that Guardiola, right from pre-season, um, has been speaking about how he will get his chance in the first team. So it's not like he's been shy about building this lot up. I think after the friendly against United, Guardiola said that he hadn't seen anything so special for years and told all the journalists that, that were sort of there that they should feel very privileged to have witnessed the start of something special. So he clearly has very high hopes for Foden, and we've seen him develop youngsters very well before Guardiola and fit that fit sort of young players into very good teams. Um But how, like, I don't see a clear path for it. It's a very fair question and one that I'd love to have an answer to. But um, I don't, it's really hard to see how the kids get a chance.
4: But right now, he's only 17. Like, it's mad to think he should be given first team football. That's incredibly young. It is. is. uh,
3: but, But the best 17 year olds in Spain get games, the best 17 year olds in Germany get games. It's one of the reasons that England's senior team isn't very good is because when these kids are very highly rated, they just don't get first-team football. And I think it's no coincidence that England's two best players at the moment, probably, Harry Kane and Dele Alley went out on loan, Kane went out on loan, Dele Alley played a lot of games as a kid in League One with MK Dons. So someone like Phil Foden, I think you just have to take a stand at some point and say, this kid's brilliant, we're going to have to play him.
4: I just, I think it's too. It, Mbappe, Mbappe broke through last season, at 18, and that was it. And he was, incre- he's an incredibly gifted talent. Like I did. De- like and he, he broke for 18 I think 17 is very young and I think I've seen some calls from, from professional footballers then that these under 17 players should should be given Premier League experience now and, and I've even seen one claim that some of them should go to the World Cup this summer which is absolutely ridiculous I think it, it's all about measuring expectations they're very young they've got a lot of development to go through and I think he could learn a lot on the training ground as opposed to just being thrown into Premier League football where he could just get his career destroyed so quickly I, I think he's I think he, when I've seen him for the under 17s I think he's good <laughs> <laughs> when you've got De Bruyne, Silver, Sterling, Sana, he's nowhere near that level and it would be crazy to throw him in.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree with that unfolding. I guess I was uh, probably, uh, in answering the question, probably taking the point just as general, how do youth players get into the City team? And that's the bit that is really hard. I agree I wouldn't be throwing him into league games just yet. Um, or, or probably for a couple of years, really. But at some point, there has to come the chance to put him in. And at whatever age they decide to do that, whether they wait until he's 20 or 21 before he starts getting uh, regular chances, um, there's still going to be very good players in front of him. So at whatever point it comes, there still has to be a leap of faith um, because he's only going to get experience one way and that's playing him. So I agree, I'm not I'm not concerned about it now. we just sort of extrapolating the point to any youth player that wants to get through at City. Um it's balancing that need to give them the, that need for them to prove that they are worthy of playing, uh, and and um, I've lost my train of thought. Here. But bal- balancing that need that, to prove that they're they're worthy of playing against how you actually give them the chance to do that, I guess it's a it's a really difficult balance to strike.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all of those U seventeen players are are brought through. And there was actually a, a really interesting discussion. On our championship show, about what's the responsibility level for clubs to get those players to uh, you know regular football and then the international stage, and I think it's just kind of a, a process, and I think it, it varies for a, a lot of different players, and I think if there was one clear way to do it, you would do it all the time. I, I do agree agree with Jamie that having players get their football younger, like specifically for the US, uh, Pulisic at Dortmund is obviously that's huge for his development, but you also have players that crumble under that. Uh, pressure, as Jake said, so I just think it's a balance, and if there was a right answer, everybody would do it one way. Um, <clears throat> coming to you now, Jamie, uh, <laughs> probably too late in the show to talk about this, uh, but Burnley are currently level with Chelsea, Liverpool, and Arsenal in the yep. Premier League table, um, have been playing yep. some some solid football this year, uh, but now seems like something could come and derail that, which is potentially Deich leaving for Everton. Uh, do you think the story should be more what you've done thus far or what could happen if Daesh does leave?
3: I think it's 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 understandable, isn't it? I mean, um, Burnley's success is, is built very much on a solid defense and organized systems, and it's not very interesting to talk about. Um, so the, the media has to find a new route into talking about how Burnley are doing well, and that inevitably means that the manager gets linked with other jobs. Um, in terms of losing Daesh... I think the timing now is probably as good as it's going to be. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Dash and what his next step's going to be, especially in the summer when he was linked very strongly with Crystal Palace and they went with De Boer instead, and look how well that worked out. Um, so I think it's always been difficult to see what his next step is. If Everton offer him the job, I don't think it's a big decision to make, to be honest. Um, we're 7th in the league now, fair enough but Everton finished there last season they started badly but you'd back them to probably finish in the top half again and be pushing to break into that sort of top 6, big 6 clubs, so I think you would have to go, um, how we cope with that, obviously a lot of Burnley fans are concerned because the last time we lost the manager in the middle of the season when we are in the Premier League we appointed Brian Laws um, I think As long as we don't do that again, it's going to be better. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we've got 19 points on the board already. We're halfway to safety. It's November. Um, So we're a very attractive proposition, I think. Last time the job came up in the Premier League, when we appointed Brian Laws, I'm going to keep saying that because can you believe Brian Laws got a job in the Premier League? I still can't. It was seven years ago or whatever. Um, But Andre Vias Boash was among the applicants that time, um, before he before he was in charge of Chelsea and Spurs and various other clubs around Europe. So a lot of highly rated young coaches will be interested in that job as well as obviously the names like Allardyce and Moyes who would probably get linked with it. Um, so I think in terms of attracting a good quality manager to then take the club on, I think we're in a good position. Some fans, fair enough, would like him to stay until the end of the season. There's a lot of talk about seeing the job through. I don't know exactly what that means. When you're in charge of a football club, the job is never really done. Even when you win loads of trophies, the challenge is always to then do it again. Um, so there's never going to be a really clean break. For me, getting Burnley into the Premier League and then keeping us in the Premier League, that was the job done for me. Yeah. Um, in terms of taking Burnley on to the next level, it's hard to see what the next level would be for a club like Burnley. Even sort of middly clubs like Stoke and West Brom, it's a case of swimming against the tide every year, just trying to tread water and survival is still the ultimate goal. So I think if, if that's the level we're aspiring to be, a Stoke or a West Brom, you can see why Dyche will be interested by going to Everton, who probably have that more room for growth. They're going to move into a new stadium they'll genuinely think they could be contenders for the Champions League every season and fair play to them. Um, So I think it's a a difficult situation for the club in that they'll have known that this was always a chance. Ultimately, if your manager's getting linked with bigger clubs, it means that you're doing well, so you can't begrudge them too much. I think how he handles it is going to be important in how he is then seen by supporters. When Owen Coyle left and was replaced by Brian Laws, remember when Brian Laws got a Premier League job, um, it was very badly done. He basically disappeared up to Scotland, didn't do a press conference after a match, just disappeared um, and and just sort of walked out and left everyone feeling a bit shell-shocked, took half of his backroom staff with him and really the heart of the, the heart and soul of the club sort of went with Owen Coyle and it took us a long time to rebuild after that. Um I think Dyche is a much more straightforward bloke. He'll try and do it in the best way that doesn't harm the club. I don't think he's he's really going to come in and try and buy all our players, probably because they're not good enough for Everton anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for him. Everton's a massive club. Potentials to be absolutely huge um, with all the money that they've got at the moment. Everton fans seem a bit upset that only Sean Dyche is going to get the job rather than an Ancelotti or a Thomas Tuckle or whatever, but... <laughs> For for me, it's about time that someone like Dyche like got the opportunity to manage at a club like Everson. And if he, if he does go, and it sounds like it might happen in the next couple of days, all the best to him. And I, I won't panic too much about what happens next at the club because we're seventh in the Premier League. Like, why be worried? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely reason for you to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty like, comfortable. You're almost halfway to
3: safety from where we are now. Like. Yeah, we could get relegated, but it, it, it would be extraordinary to get relegated from where we are now. We would have to be absolutely atrocious. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too concerned. I think actually how far up the league we are and how many points we've got, it means that we can be a bit more left field in our thinking rather than be like, oh, panic, give the jobs to eyes, we'll stay up. Um, I think we can be a bit riskier, maybe look abroad, someone who hasn't worked in the Premier League, someone who hasn't even worked in English football. Just think outside the box a little bit and just be a bit risky because we're probably going to stay up anyway.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, 19 points already uh, is definitely a a benefit after just playing 11 matches. Um, Yeah, hopefully hopefully it, it turns out well. As you say, it does sound like Daesh uh, will be leaving, but will definitely be interesting to see who comes in and takes that job. And if they maintain the style that you currently play, are, are you expecting that in a, a potential appointee? Or do you think you'd be more willing to just roll with whatever system a, a new manager could bring?
3: I think um, you, you've got to work with what's there. And Daesh has is, is, signed players that fit into what he wants to do. Um, he's also convinced players who maybe didn't quite fit that to then do that job. Players like Stephen DeFore, who sort of thought might leave in the summer. He wasn't happy with his game time. He wasn't happy with doing so much running around without the ball. DeFore this season has totally bought into it. He's a completely different player this season, playing in a a different sort of role and it's paid off handsomely for him and for the club. Um, So I think it would have to be someone who's going to play probably a similar style I don't think anyone's going to come to Burnley and try and play like ticky-tack of football, like do what De Boa did at Palace and just try and totally change the identity and the style and everything that everyone recognises about the club, I don't think that would be realistic um, so for that reason, if we're going to talk about names it feels a bit like talking about who you want to be your next girlfriend before your wife's divorced you. But maybe someone like maybe someone like Michael O'Neill, Northern Ireland manager, done very well on no resources, really. Um, gets the best out of his players. They run through brick walls for him every single game. That's what we need from a manager. So, yeah, obviously, depending on the World Cup playoffs, he, he wouldn't leave if they qualify. Um, but I think Michael O'Neill, someone of that sort of profile, would probably be a good fit.
1: Cool. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, Jake, we haven't had you on since all of this Newcastle takeover stuff has happened. Obviously, uh, Mike Ashley been there for quite some time for <laughs> to, to mixed results and reactions from the Newcastle faithful. Uh, A, how likely does it look like the the buyout will go through? And secondly, what do we think the club would look like after it?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting question and a difficult one for me to answer anyway. I don't have any sort of information on this, but I'll just go from what I've read and sort of the vibes I'm getting from people that I sort of trust on these things. I think um, your takeovers aren't a lot of fun. They're not like transfers. They take ages. So every every day I look into Twitter and I see Newcastle fans saying, oh, what, I hope there's, uh, is there any takeover news, asking journalists and stuff. It's not going to come out overnight. Like <laughs> these things take ages and uh, they talk about uh, – Christmas, of course he does because he doesn't want to spend any money in January that is of course what he wants to do but um yeah I think there's there's hopeful vibes it's going to go go through before Christmas and if not I think it's going to go through before the end of the season I don't think this time in the summer or, or you know this time next year or even in the summer I don't think Mike Ashley will be owner of Newcastle and I'm going to be very happy about that I've seen a lot of people saying uh it could be a lot worse than Mike Ashley um what um Maybe better the devil, you know. Yeah, they said that with Pardew and we got Benitez. Like, Newcastle is a club of huge potential. I'm not. I'm not trying to be sort of arrogant or maybe a bit deluded, but Newcastle are a huge club. And what Mike, Mike Ashley's has managed it very sort of owned it very poorly. I think we've got a lot worse over his tenure. When he bought the club, we we're a similar level to Tottenham. Look where they are. Look where we are. <laughs> Yeah, it's not much of a competition. Like we've gone, we've gone backwards. He's got two relegations on his CV. He's sold uh, land around the ground that we could have built on. That now looks unlikely. It's now a student accommodation. So uh, building on St. James' Park looks unlikely, which is annoying. I just think it's the right time for him to leave. Like I think the reason he wants to sell is because the money's got a bit too crazy in the Premier League. He thought he could, before he could manage it and make a profit and hope to stay in the Premier League. Now he has no interest in paying more than. 10 million for a player and he can't do that in the Premier League. We, we'd only go down. So it's the right time. And I think the group that are, are probably going to buy it, I think it's Amanda Stavely. I think she has a investment group There talks of Liverpool. She was involved in the Man City buyout. she sort of got a lot of links in the Middle East. I'm not sure if she's backing it herself, but she seems to be the front woman. They were willing to pay a billion for Man's, uh, for Liverpool. So 400 million for Newcastle. And you put the rest on players, we'd probably have... You know, a very good squad. So I think it's really hopeful. It's, it's t- if you can't be excited at a time like this, when you can you be excited? It could go bad, but I'm quite optimistic. I think we got Benitez. We've got a very good manager. We've got a good stadium, a good fan base, the potential, and Newcastle is huge. If I think anyone on the any one of you would agree. If, if there was any club right now to buy in the Premier League, if you wanted to go and build and become a top six team, Newcastle was the the most obvious example to do that. I think most things are in place, and if you just invested a bit, showed a bit of ambition, we could get there. So I can see why there's a lot of interest, and hopefully it'll go through before Christmas and we can buy some players, but if not, I'm happy to wait fine and stay in the Premier League and then hopefully build on from there.
1: I mean, first of all, it looks like you will be fine, as you say, but a striker would be very appreciated at this time based on the fact that Joe Zulu uh, does not like to put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, perhaps harsh, but the finishing, not really high level there. Regardless of the ownership situation, do you think you'd address that position in
4: January? Um, I'd hope so, but... I don't think we would if Mike Ashley was still here. I don't think we'll buy anybody. I think he's got a very excuse not to do any transfer business now. So yeah, <laughs> I think we, we've probably got a good enough squad to stay up as It is a, a striker would have been good. I think if Rafa is would have been backed in the summer, we'd probably be in a we'd probably be in a similar position to what Burnley are now. I think we've lost. There's four games that we've lost: Huddersfield, uh, Brighton, Burnley, and, and Bournemouth. And after each defeat, I've seen a lot of fans complaining that, oh, this is a game we could regret. This is, a, you know, these are teams that we should be beating, which is just incredibly <laughs> arrogant. Like, who are we to think we should be beating these teams? We are a newly promoted team. These teams also probably look at Newcastle as a game they could win, and they all did. But we lost all game by we lost every game by one 0 which is annoying because it's so tight. But that's sort of the the game plan we've got. We're going to go and try and be tight, try and keep a clean sheet, try and keep things tight, and then try and nick one on the on the break. And we're doing fine with that. I think you know <laughs> the, the crazy thing about all these games is like people say, "Oh, we could regret them because we didn't win them." If we'd have won all four of those games, we'd be in second position. Like that's mental. We're not that good. We are pretty much where we should be i think it the last week's been a bit of a blow you know two losses it's it's tough to take and there's a lot of people uh, a lot, a lot thinking now oh, we're going to start slipping down the league we're in a false position we beat palace swansea and west ham we're not very good but you know the problem isn't that simple it's a long term process you don't make short term decisions like each game is very short term like you look at the longer process we're doing fine we've got we've got a good squad we've got a good manager We've got, you know, we're, we're 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 progressing. We're competing well. I've seen, I've seen, watching Newcastle under McLaren. I've watched them under Pardue. We got blown away three or four nil regularly. That's not happened once this season. Even against Tottenham, when we had ten men for half of the game, we only lost two nil. And I think um, that was probably one of Tottenham's you know lowest away victories in a while. You you were winning quite a few on the road, like three or four nil at that point in a row. And we had ten men and managed to you know keep it down to two nil. We're going to be fine. We're going to be in games. We're going to be competing well. I think, you know, we'd not, we don't have great strikers. I think Dwight Gale scored, uh, he got a goal at the weekend, which probably should have been given, but I can see it why it wasn't. It was a, an offside call when the linesman was looking across. You couldn't see the guy that was keeping him onside on the opposite side of the pitch. If it would have happened, if he was on the offside of the pitch, the linesman, it would have been given and we probably would have won the game. So it's, <laughs> we're not good enough to have those decisions go against us at this point. We need those decisions to go for us and they're not. So yeah, we lost the game. It happens. On the strikers, I think we've got Mitrovic, who hasn't played in a while. He didn't come on at the weekend, which a lot of fans were annoyed about. But I, th- I think there's players like this every club that, when they're not in the team, fans think they're a lot better than they actually are. Like they manage to, mm. you know, get become better because they're not in the team. Like I've seen Mitrovic play; he's a good player. I'd love to see him get given a go because is not working, but he's not like an incredible striker. It's not like. Benita is keeping, like, an incredible strike on the bench. She's an absolute liability, and that's why it's not in the team. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, we're, we're a newly promoted club. We've got a, uh, we're level on goal difference. We've got 10 goals conceded. We're in 11th position. We're doing absolutely fine. Yeah, uh,
1: now we will move on to Player Watch. We're going to talk about uh, the player that you feel is most underappreciated at your club, either... Internally where the fans don't seem to recognize the talent Or externally where you think maybe the media aren't covering Just how good a player is at your club We'll lead in with you Richard Uh,
2: This is really hard Because it seems like everybody's quite well appreciated at the moment But at City uh, I guess I would There's probably two Um, One of them uh, Is playing fast and loose, I guess, with the question. Uh, I think, I could argue Kyle Walker, for all the plaudits he gets and how everybody sees the difference that he's he's made to the team and what having a properly attacking fullback uh, does uh, and one who's fast and can still get up the line, uh, everybody's seen what that has done for City, uh, but I think he is judged uh, probably fairly, I guess, but he's judged against his price tag, which was particularly high and um, made him the most expensive defender in the world at the time before we then went and bought Mendy uh, a few weeks later. £50 million for a right-back is um, something we, we hadn't seen before. Uh, it's a, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, it's an unsexy position. And so he probably doesn't win the plaudits he deserves outside of the club because there's that price tag puts such a high expectation on him. Um but he is as important. That position is as important to City as all of our attacking positions because the fullbacks allow everything else to happen. It allow it dictates where the midfielders sit. It dictates what the, the the chance creation for the strikers. It's so important to the way that we use space and the way that um, the way that Guardiola uh, positions his players. That Walker has been absolutely instrumental, and the fact that we've got Danilo, who when we've seen him has been good, he's a, a perfectly capable right back, um, and we spent 25 million quid on him. Can't get a look in at the moment, and that will change. I mean, he did he did play against Napoli, so he's obviously going to be trusted in uh, in big games. But Walker is so good at the moment that it's very very hard uh, to to get Danilo in, who fits the bill for what we need, uh, but but is Walk is just a, on a on a really really high level. Uh, the other one that that definitely doesn't get plowed, is is Otamendi. And um, he still suffers. I think we've spoke before, Kev, about how sort of narrative cycles don't really change as as quickly mm-hmm. as they should. Um, so once there's once people have made the mind upon a player, that that sticks even though the player might improve. Uh, Otamendi has is, is really, really improved uh, under Guardiola. Um, he still has the occasional rash moment in him. Uh, I think our win at Chelsea, he, he nearly cost us a game by diving in with a, a really stupid tackle on the touchline, giving away a free kick where we were under no danger. Straight away in stoppage time and 1-0 up gives, uh, gives Chelsea a a dead ball uh, close to the box. So he does still have a rash moment in him, but the vast majority of the time, what we've seen is that he's learned to uh, basically defend on his feet rather than on his backside. Is that the rashness is, um, it, it is going, uh, it is being taken out of his game. He is clearly putting a lot of work because that diving in, that charging forward was his natural game, and he has had to, uh, I guess tame his own instincts, tame the way that he plays. Um, It's not like he's just like he had a foundation to work on and he's improved on it. He has changed the way that he defends. Um, On the ball, he's very, very good. And so all the stuff that we're seeing with Stones, we keep seeing these stats about how Stones has got the best pass accuracy of any player in Europe's top five leagues and all this stuff. uh, Because he's doing so well and making good on what everybody saw was, or what most people saw was uh, really good potential. He's now now reaching that. Uh, I think the guy next to him, is going massively underappreciated. And the, the test, I think, is ask any City fan at the moment would a fit Vincent company walk back into this team? And the honest answer has to be no. And I, I can't think of a higher compliment you can pay a central defender at City than saying our sort of talismanic captain who we spent years not being able to play without will now struggle to get back into the team, even if you sort of assume perfect fitness. So I think Otamendi deserves a lot of credit. And he's even weighing in with a couple of goals. So he's doing everything at the moment. And uh, he's had to overcome being a bit of a scapegoat to do that. So I think it's it's really nice to see.
1: Mm. Uh, Jamie at Burnley, who do you feel doesn't get the plaudits they deserve?
3: Yes, yeah, similar to Richard, really. It's, difficult. it's always difficult to talk about players at Burnley because it, it's so much about the collective and everyone plays for each other so much that individuals don't often shine that much. Um I could talk about Nick Pope, who's been absolutely fantastic since coming in to replace Tom Heaton. People have been terrified that we might lose Tom Heaton for the last couple of seasons. Like what what happens if Heaton goes? Well, Heaton's got injured and it's been fine because Nick Pope's the best young goalkeeper in the Premier League, so it's made absolutely no difference. I think he's kept clean sheets in more than half of his games. He's got the best save percentage in the Premier League at the moment. Um he's been outstanding. To the extent that some Birmingham fans have even suggested he should be in the England team, in the England squad, not the team already, even though he's essentially still a child in goalkeeping terms. Um, but it, it's actually Jack Cork that I want to pick out. When we signed Jack Cork in the summer, the, people were happy to see him back. He'd had a couple of loan spells when, when he was younger and done done well, but it, it wasn't seen as the sort of signing that was really going to take us on to the next level. I remember seeing Swansea fans being. Thrilled to have got £10 million for Jack for Court. Jack this is a player with a lot of appearances in the Premier League who had done a fine job for Swansea, and they're terrible without him. So look how that works out. Um, but he's, he's been an absolute revelation. Last season, we had Joey Barton playing in midfield a lot of the time, and Barton's, Barton's positioning was excellent, and the way he read the game was really good. But in terms of covering the ground, it was a real area where we... We struggled a little bit sometimes in just getting around the pitch and up the pitch when we were trying to counter and things like that. It just held us back a bit that Barton was so old and so slow. Jack had added real dynamism to the Burnley midfield. Before this weekend's Premier League games, um, he'd covered more ground than any player in the league. Obviously, there's more to football than running, but it's no secret that it's a massive part of the way Burnley play the game that we run harder than every other team, we cover more ground than every other team and Jack Cork's addition has just allowed us to do that. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that our away form has been transformed with having a player like Cork that can help with the transitions a lot faster, he helps us get up the pitch, he covers the ground, he closes teams down and he's, he's just made such a big difference. People talk about Nick Pope for England Jack Cook for England seems like a bit of a no-brainer to me. Jake Livermore was getting in the squad until recently. Jake Livermore's not a good player. Jack Cook's got as much Premier League experience as Livermore. He started the season absolutely brilliantly. It just seems to me with England that if you haven't played for Southgate in the under-21s, like Loftus Sheep, for example, he's done absolutely nothing to earn a senior call-up. You just don't get a look at the moment. I don't know what more Jack Cook could be doing at Burnley to be getting that recognition um, at international level. It seems extraordinary. I'm getting on my thought box now, but it seems extraordinary to me that Burnley can be as good a team as Arsenal, as good as Liverpool, as good as these teams, yet none of our players are in the England squad and most of our players are English. It just seems insane to me. Like, How can that tally up? So for me, Jack Cook's the obvious... Outstanding player compared to what we had last season. I think he's made a huge difference, and from our perspective, I suppose the, the the longer that he goes unheralded, the better, and it can continue to operate under the radar. That's how Burnley have always done best.
4: Yeah, I'm pretty similar to Jamie. We have a, a team more than individuals. Uh, that's what. Uh, Benitez is the one I think is really underrated by our own fans. I'll, I'll talk about him and then move on to one that's probably underrated within sort of the nation. The, the first one within our own fans is Paul Dummer. He's, he's He got injured in the first game against Tottenham and he's not played since, but we've missed him so much. I think um, having a left-footed left-back is so much better than not having one. And when you don't have one, you only realise the value of having one. Uh, like we've been playing Chancellor and Bember there for a little bit. We played Kieran Clark there and we've played... Um, Happy Mankio there recently. I think Clark's left foot would be the centre back. But yeah, we it's just leaves the team unbalanced, especially look going forward. Um when Mankio goes forward, he's just always looking to cut back in and it just stunts any progress we made and it often leads to us going back to our centre back. It's just it's just not great to watch. And I think Paul Dummett it's been much maligned with the Newcastle fans. He might be he might be a Geordie, he might have come through the Academy, but don't, a lot of people don't rate him, but I think he's an absolutely fine uh, fullback. Um, Where we got relegated, there was Premier League interest in him. I think West Brom and Burnley wanted him. Uh, I think from what I've from what I've heard from people inside well, journalists linked to the club, there was a lot of Premier League interest in Paul Dunn. And I'm not surprised. He's a very good player. He <laughs> knows his own limit. A good defender, good in the air, which is always good for a fullback. And. uh yeah, I just think we've missed him. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought I'd be saying that at this this point in the season that I've missed Paul Dummett, but I definitely have and I'm excited for him to get back in the team because I think we're just better with him in it than without him. And probably the player that is a little bit underrated within then maybe not the national media, I think he's pretty rated, but the um maybe supporters of other clubs who pigeonhole him as a bit of an idiot, which he is, but he's also a very, very good player, and that's John Joe Shelby. I think he's I don't think there's a better passer of the ball that is English. And I don't even think I'm being biased in saying that when you watch him play football, he's always, every time he plays a pass, he gives the player receiving it an extra second to do something with it. And that is just such a good skill to have. And he does it with such a consistency that it's mad that he's not even talked about for England. Uh, I know uh, Jack Cork has done very well this season. He, he should be in uh, you know, talked about as well. There's a lot of players that are just look overlooked at smaller clubs. But John Josh Shelby's played for England. The international game is quite slow and I think it would suit him. He'd get time on the ball to pick passes. And he is incredible at doing that. He's just he's just so good to watch when he's when he's on form. And over the last year he sort of added consistency to his performances, which has been really pleasing. And although he had a few silly moments like the one on the first day of the season, that is, I guess, the punishment we have for having him. Um, I think on pure talent, he's he's a lot better than us. He's probably, yeah, he, he's better than where we are currently. He's probably a top eight player, maybe even a squad player for a top six team based on pure talent, but he doesn't have the look. He looks like a complete <laughs> anarchist <laughs> for a want of a better word there. But yeah, he just doesn't have a great look and he doesn't carry himself well, but he's a very, very good player. And uh yeah, I think he's he's probably known for the bad parts of his game, but he's for what he's good at. He's very good at, and he should probably be
1: rated a little higher. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, that will do it for us today. So, if you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time.
2: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns. I'm on the Blue Moon Podcast, which is a Manchester City podcast released every Friday. And I write two articles a week for Yahoo Sport UK, both about City.
3: Hi, I've been Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley for various places. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith with two Fs.
4: Yeah, you can get my Twitter at Jake with two Ns. I for EPL Index and The Bootroom, among various other sites, and which I will plug all of my Twitter feed. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin
1: DeVries. You can find my writings Uh, on fantasy football over at goal.com under the gaming tab all right thanks so much for joining us guys it's been a pleasure as always and we hope you keep listening